Man, aren't you glad that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the creator of the world, reigns? Aren't you glad? I'm glad. That's the truth here this morning. If you have your Bibles, like turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 this morning. We'll read verses 1 through 23, or 1 through 13. And uh, you're going to find it's going to be a parable that Jesus is uh, speaking of. And it's, of course, Jesus telling the parable. And, of course, parables are a earthly story to identify a heavenly meaning. And so we find as we stand this morning in honor of God's Word, we'll begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 25. And uh, I like the very first word of chapter 25 because that word is then. That means that it's talking about something that's going to has happened in chapter 24. And we'll talk about that as well. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with the lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go you out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, this is some of the most dangerous words. I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name here this morning, and we are thankful for the songs, and we're thankful for all that has come and all that has desired and decided and determined to be here. We pray, Lord, you bless us now with your word. And, God, I pray you'll fill us with your spirit. Pray, God, that you'd guard our lips and our mind here today, that you'd anoint us with the spirit of God. I pray, Lord, that you help us to receive the things of God this morning and make application to each one of our lives. I know we're all in different places and, God, different walks. God, even our spiritual lives are different. But yet, at the same time, Lord, we all need to hear from God. So whatever it is today that's in the heart of your children and the heart of these people, I pray, Father, that you'd reveal it to them. God, I pray, God, that you'd manifest the down within the hearts of each one of us. God, that we might make choice and decision, and that decision would be the decision for Christ. Thank you again, Lord, for all you're doing here. I pray you'd open up the hearts and the minds of your people. And may Jesus get glory in all that's said and done. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You might be seated here this, this morning. So the word then there, it connects chapter 24 to chapter 25. 
Because it's saying that without chapter 24, you couldn't go forward, you couldn't go on. So the word then is saying, okay, all this happened in 24, then shall this happen. Now there's three things this morning that before we get into the message, I just want to explain. First one is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, and then there's the kingdom of God. There are different. They're not the same. The kingdom of heaven is talking about the kingdom that's a literal kingdom. It's a physical kingdom. It's a materialistic kingdom. It's a kingdom that Jesus will begin and he will rule and reign for a thousand years. That's the kingdom of heaven. And so that kingdom is a kingdom with a king. And that king is Jesus. Amen. And so that's what he's talking about. Uh, because chapter 24 is talking about the tribulation period. After the tribulation period comes the millennial reign. The millennial reign is the thousand year period where Jesus will rule and reign as king. Amen. We'll no longer have corruption in our government. We'll no longer have uh, any type of uh, uh, wickedness or evil in any of our leadership for Jesus. And Jesus alone will be the king. Amen. And uh, those that are saved, those that are to the church this morning, will be uh, priests and kings along with him during this period of time. And so we find the kingdom of heaven is an earthly kingdom. There's a kingdom of God which is not spoken here, but it's different. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of God that when you get saved and born again, you enter into the kingdom of God. And that kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. And that spiritual kingdom is Jesus who is the king of your heart. Amen. He's the Lord of lords and the king of kings, the king of glory in your heart. So there's a kingdom of God in which you get born into. And then there's a kingdom of heaven which shall be upon this earth. And in this parable, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. And then I want you to notice he's talking about a marriage in verse 10. It says a marriage. And so there's a wedding that's taking place in this chapter as well. So Jesus often in, in parables uses the mindset of a wedding. And we'll talk about that in just a minute as well. And then we find in verse 13, we talk about the Son of Man cometh. Talking about Jesus coming. He's coming someday, one day, and he'll be here sooner or later. And we pray that you will be, as he said, watch therefore. And so we're talking about the coming of the Lord. And so there's three thoughts here within this parable. The kingdom of heaven, a wedding, and the return of the Lord. And so all three of those, Jesus is putting them in the way in which he always does in a marvelous way. A way that you and I can understand it here this morning. The first thing, though, I want to talk about is the story. The story, which is the parable. Now, there are many people and many commentators and many theologians and many preachers and teachers of all types this morning uh, try to pinpoint all that's going on in this parable. Like, for example, what do the lamps represent? What does the oil represent? What does the vessel represent? And what does the marriage represent? What does the ten virgins represent? 
And so we get all involved of trying to bring forth of all of this uh, uh, spiritualism and bringing forth in the way that we can make this parable understandable. But Jesus makes it clear and understandable. So I want to go through the story real quick with you so that we can just see what Jesus is really saying and want to say. And so he says something like this in the parable. Uh, in verse 1, the, there, are vir- there are ten virgins that went to meet the bridegroom. All right, so ten virgins. Virgins are women here. Uh, there are ten of them. And they came to meet the, Lord, the, the groom or the bridegroom. The bridegroom, in verse 5, tarried. And so it was waiting. He didn't go as soon as he thought that he was going to go. And so he just tarried, meaning uh, that he didn't show up uh, immediately. There was a period of time that he was waiting. And so while that he was tarrying, the ten virgins fell asleep. And they, uh, they were tired. They were slumbering. And then we find in verse 6 that at midnight, There was a cry, and that cry went forth to all that was there to hear, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Now, that was the original reason for the ten virgins uh, to be mentioned in this uh, parable, is that they would meet the bridegroom, and finally the bridegroom shows up. And so while the bridegroom shows up, uh, there is a cry that goes out and says, Here comes the bridegroom. The bridegroom cometh. And so that cry went forth. And then we find, fourthly, that the ten virgins went out to meet him in verse 6. And so as they heard that cry, as they heard what was taking place, man, they got up, they got ready, they were fixing to go out, and they're going to meet the bridegroom. We find in verse 7, they trimmed their lamps. We learn in verse 8 that the virgins, the foolish virgins, the five foolish virgins, had lamps that went out. Because of no oil. And we also know that the foolish virgins asked the wise virgins, said, hey, give us some of your oil. And the wise virgins said, listen, I can't give you my oil. Because if I give you my oil, that means I won't have enough for me and you. I got a suggestion. Go down to the oil store and buy you some more oil. And they said, hey, good idea. And so they took off, and they went to buy themselves some more oil. And while the foolish virgins left to buy oil, guess who came? The bridegroom. And my, the five virgins that were ready, there in verse 10, ready, you circle that word ready, highlight word ready there, those ten virgins that were ready, when the bridegroom came, And they went with him to the marriage. Now remember, they didn't go, they didn't go to be married to the bridegroom. They went to the marriage with the bridegroom. And the Bible says uh, that they uh, the door was now shut. And by the time that took place, the five virgins came back that were foolish, and they found the door shut. Immediately in verse 11, they began to say unto the Lord, 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 open up the door. Lord, Lord, open to us. Now you would think that anybody who would call the bridegroom Lord would surely open the door. But that's not what happened. The 
Bible says there in verse 12, he said, and answered, he answered and said unto them, I know you not, in verse 12. Now, that's kind of odd, isn't it? I mean, uh, how in the world can 12 or 5 uh, virgins that were foolish or 10 virgins in a whole um, know the bridegroom is coming and want to go out and meet the bridegroom? And when the bridegroom comes, they're not there. And when they get there, the door is shut. And they knock on the door and yell, open up the door. And he didn't say, I'm not going to open the door. He did not say the door is shut, and if the door is shut, it's shut. He did not say there's no more room in here for you. He did not say that the door is locked and the lock is broke. He did say, I don't know you. Wow. Wow. And then he goes on to say to them the very point of the story in verse 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. That was the point. That's all. So however you want to read into it, however you want to add what is the oil, what is the lamp, what is the vessel, who are the bridegrooms, or who are the virgins, and all of this kind of stuff, you can do that if you want to. But the whole point of the story was letting them know that you can either be foolish or you can be wise. But the fact of the matter is, when the bridegroom comes, and we all know that's Jesus, you've got to be ready. And the question to you this morning is, are you ready? Jesus is coming. And we don't know when he's coming. We don't know the hour. We don't know the day. But we know that he's coming. And when he comes, will you be ready? That's the whole story he made. He was just saying to them, listen, there were five that were, and there was five that wasn't. And I would say that's 50 and 50 this morning. I would probably ask right down the middle of the church, uh, there would be 50, 50 of us. Some are ready, some are not ready. Jesus said, the reason I gave you that story is so that you might be ready. And so we find the story. We find the story as the parable that Jesus has spoken. Uh, Be ready for his return. Be ready for his return. That word ready would mean a watch would be prepared. Be prepared. You see, these people did not miss the coming of the bridegroom because they didn't have oil. These people missed the coming of the bridegroom because they wasn't there when the bridegroom came. The reason why they wasn't there is because they wasn't prepared. Right? Are you prepared? Are you prepared today to stand before an holy thrice God? Are you prepared to come to the place where Jesus would come and he'd come before you? Are you ready to meet and prepared to meet Jesus? Is there anything in your life you need to get it straight? Is there anything in your heart you need to get right? Is there anything in your soul that you need to get saved? Jesus has given the parable, are you prepared? Are you prepared? Just a story. Just a story. He's just trying to bring us to our attention. Now, that's the parable of the story. But let me show you the purpose of the story. The purpose of the story was to reveal the wise. 
You see, the word wise there in the, in the text of the Scripture, all four times that it's mentioned there, it means foreseeing what's coming. That's what wise virgin was. They were foreseeing what's coming. And this morning, if you're going to be wise, you're going to foresee what's going to come maybe later on today. You're going to foresee what may come on, on Monday, Tuesday, next week, next year. And so you're looking down the road. You're looking away above. You just don't live day to day. You just don't live hour to hour. You just don't live minute to minute. You don't say, well, thank God I got done with this day. Hey, that's not wise people. Wise people are looking down and foreseeing what's coming. Amen? So wise. Are you wise? Are you foreseeing? Another definition of the word wise means to think ahead. To be a wise virgin in the way of Greek this morning, if you, if you had put it into English, you'd find that that word would mean thinking ahead. And so this wise virgin was thinking ahead, and he said that's the one that went in with the bridegroom. Do you think ahead? I mean, are you thinking about your retirement? Are you thinking about when your kids get older? Are you thinking about the college that they're going to have to attend? Are you thinking about all that's going to need to be done on the house in the future? Are you thinking about all the situations and everything that's going on? But more importantly, are you thinking about the return of Jesus? Are you thinking? Because most lives go right along with your everyday life. And if all you worry about is today, all you worry about, all you do is go to work for every Friday for paycheck, all you do is just go to work to pay a bill, then that's what you're going to do with Jesus. Wise or wise in all, thinking ahead. And the reason why these virgins came into the marriage, because they thought ahead. Number three, that word wise not only means thinking ahead, and it means to see, foreseeing what's coming, but it means to plan for what's next. Plan for what's next. Or do you plan for what's next, or you just hit it as it goes? Do you live off the cuff? Do you just kind of do days and do life and, and live as you do, and whatever's before you, you handle it then, and then go move on to the next one. Is that how your life is? Well, that's not what wise is. Wise is one, according to the meaning of the word wise virgins, is planning for what's next. Are you planning for what's next with Jesus? Fourthly, that word wise means leaving nothing undone. Wise is leaving nothing undone. You, you have your will made up. You've got your life insurance paid up. you got all things set up, your papers. you got everything. What happens if your husband and wife die in a car wreck? What happens to your things? What happens to your children? What goes on? Do you have all that lined up? Say that you retire at 65, you got that lined up. Do you have it lined up, what's coming next with Jesus? Are you just saying, Look, Brother Larry, if I can just get through this service, I'd be better off. You're not wise. So the wise this morning, let me just run through them one more time so you can 
justify or maybe examine your heart to see if you're one of the wise. Bible says the word wise means foreseeing what's coming, thinking ahead, planning for what is next, and leaving nothing undone. That was a wise virgin. And what happened to the wise virgin? They went into the marriage. And when the door was shut, they were on this side of the door. Now, what does the word foolish mean? The word foolish means, and the purpose of the story, is to the word, the English word that we get out of the Greek word. The Greek word is moros, and we get the English word moron out of the word foolish. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying to the foolish, you're a moron. Do y'all use that terminology? I hear that all the time. You're a moron. That word there, it means that foolish means stupid. You say, I don't like to be called stupid. Well, don't be foolish. And if you're not ready when Jesus comes, you're stupid. If you're not prepared when Jesus comes, you're stupid. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. And I say, I would say to you, Fred, you don't want to get mad at him. He's the Savior. All right, that word means idiot. And uh, there's a lot of people who use that word idiot. I hear it all the time. You're an idiot. You're a moron. And that's what Jesus is saying. I'm telling you the purpose of the story is to let us know who are listening to the story, are we an idiot? Because we're not prepared. Because we're not ready. It also means not only stupid or idiot, but it means a imbecile. An imbecile. Now the word means careless to, ha- to have what is necessary. That's what foolish is. That's what an idiot is. That's what one who's a moron. That's one today that was imbecile. Uh, it's one who is not prepared or ready to have what is necessary they're just careless with it I don't care whether he comes or not I don't care when he comes that's not an interest of mine that's not important to me all I'm doing is living life I'm trying to be the best father and the best mother I'm trying to be the best parent I'm trying to be the best child I'm trying to go out and make money I'm trying to go out there and get cars and, and houses and I'm trying to go out there and make a living I'm trying to just live a life in this great old American world yeah but are you a fool and that is not having what's necessary can I say here, secondly, that only means careless to have what's necessary, but it means heedless to get what's proper. Heedless to get what's proper. Let me ask you a question this morning. When Jesus comes back, what is necessary? When Jesus comes back, what is going to be required? When Jesus comes back and he's coming back, and when he comes back, what's going to be proper with him? Do you know? Do you know, what is it? Why is it such a thing that Jesus would bring a parable to our attention about his return? What's the big deal about that? Well, I'm asking you. What is it that you got to do to get prepared? It reminds me here in this Houston area, out here by this Gulf Coast area, uh, hurricanes that come, right? 
And they would send out before hurricanes coming. It's coming down through the Gulf, through the eye of the Gulf. And it's going to hit right up through Galveston and come up through Houston and, and move all that. You better go to the store. You better get lights. You better get food. You better get crackers. You better get canned goods. You better get lamps. You better get all these things because the lights are going out. There may be floods. The wind will be blowing. It may knock over trees. And it may be days without food or water. So you got to be prepared. And so we find when Jesus comes, what are the items you got to have? What is it that you got to be prepared for? He said he's coming back. The word there, that word foolish means thoughtless or mindless. If you're ready this morning for his return, then you're wise. If you're not ready for his return, then you're a moron. That's the story from Jesus. That's it. That's all he, that's all he wants you to know. He wants to know that we need to watch for his return is coming. We know the day that the hour when the Son of Man is coming. And he wants you to know that there's going to be wise and there's going to be foolish. And he wants you to know to make a decision which one are you, wise or foolish. That's the story. But let me give you the setting. The setting in which Jesus is talking about is a wedding. But not just a wedding, but a Jewish wedding. You know, you and I that are Gentiles, uh, we are always, we like weddings because uh, the weddings that we have is all about the bride. Right? Is that right? I mean, the groom, the groom, well, he just stands there like a, like a, I don't know, like a stick. So he comes on the side with the preacher, and they come on in, and he has his, uh, his groomsmen, and she has her bridesmaids, and and so we're standing here, and here's the, here's the, the man who's going to be the groom who's going to get married. And uh, we're standing there and standing there, and everybody's sitting down, and everybody's just kind of waiting and waiting and waiting. And next thing you know, here comes this music. Uh-oh. Next thing you know, the door's open. Next thing you know, there's a woman standing there with a white dress. She starts to walk in, everybody stands up. Am I right? Oh, she's so beautiful. Look at that. She made a beautiful bride. Everybody's ooing and aahing, and everybody's saying, oh, look at that. Poor groom guy, he'd stand up here going, does anybody know I'm here? I got this tux on, man. I got this suit on. I got my hair cut. Man, I'm looking good too, but nobody says nothing about me. Is that the truth? It's all about the bride. Finally, she gets up here, and as she walks by, you know, as she walks by, the congregation's going, right? And when she finally gets here, everybody says, okay, you can sit down. The bride is here. Now, in a Jewish wedding, it's not about the bride. It's about the groom. Amen? So we kind of got to start thinking a little different here. Now, in the context of the Scripture, it's about a Jewish wedding. And I'm going to go through this Jewish wedding for you so that you could see the importance and the impact of this chapter 25. Are you a fool or are you wise? 
In this marriage, the Bible says in verse 10, they went, the, the, the very ones that were wise, they were ready, which was the point Jesus was trying to make, went in with him to the marriage. So it's a marriage. So how does the Jewish marriage go? Well, it goes like this. It's a divine marriage. It is a marriage of a Jewish instinct. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament, we find in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 14, that the nation of Israel was the wife of Jehovah, a marriage in the Old Testament. And the New Testament, we find in Revelation chapter 19, verse 7, that the church is the bride of and then the wife of Christ. So we see in the Old and in the New and in the Bible entirely that he's always working from the standpoint of a wedding, of a marriage, of a relationship. Okay? So with that being known, I want you to notice, first of all, in a Jewish wedding, the father chooses the groom or the groom's bride. The father chooses the groom's bride. They are, from the time that that boy is uh, born and to the time that that boy gets married, that father is looking, that father is searching, that father is asking, that father is, is doing all these other things in order to find a bride for, her, for his son. So the father in a Jewish wedding arranges whom he shall marry. We find in the way of a divine marriage, which was with us in Christ, that it is the same way the father tells his son who is going to be the bride. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, according, to the, he, according, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. And so we find that the choice for us was before the foundation of the world in Christ. In Christ. When you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that was already determined before the foundation of the world. Now, I'm not talking about election in the way of Calvinism. Wherever you're going to get saved, you're going to get saved. You're going to be lost, you're going to be lost. And it's already been determined before the world ever began who will be saved and who will be lost. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about according to Ephesians 1.4. In Him, talking about in Jesus, You've been chosen. So when you receive Jesus, then you're chosen. Okay? The Bible tells us in John 15 and verse 16, as Jesus speaks, he says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Amen? We all know today in the way of relationship with Jesus that it's not we chose Jesus, but Jesus chose us. The Father has chose us just like in the Jewish wedding. Number two. The father of the groom pays a bride's price. In order for a groom to be married to his bride, the father has to pay a price. We find 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, that that price is the blood of God. We find that Ephesians 1, 14 is the Son of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it's going to be the work of Christ. 
And we find that that price that was going to be paid for you and I is going to be the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to redeem us and redeem our soul. It's going to take His work on the cross of Calvary. And remember when He said in John chapter 19 and verse 30, He said, It is finished. He was telling the Father that that bride's price is finished. It may be as a Jewish father would give to a, the, the, the bride's father a dowry. And it would be according to the groom's wealth, not according to the bride's wealth. And so that dowry of that price, it was the blood of the Lamb, the crucifixion of Christ. And it was the death and resurrection of our Lord today that was paid for us to have that bride's price. But for a dowry for a Jewish wedding, it would be according to the Father's riches, not according to the bride's riches. Got that? Because if it was the bride's riches, we wouldn't have a dowry. We're sorry, no good, low down. I mean, we're full of sin and wickedness. And, and but I tell you, there's something always wrong with it. We're cracked up. We're broken up. If we, our fathers, had to give a dowry unto the other father of Jesus, uh, we would find that it would be such a non-dowry. But aren't you glad that it was the father's dowry? It was the father who was paying of Jesus, who was paying the price for his bride. And his bride is the church. And so we find in the Jewish wedding that he would, the groom would go to the place where his father has said, this is where your bride is at. He'd go to the bride and the father and the son would go to the father and the woman and say, listen, uh, we want to give you a price for your bride. That was what took place with us. Number three. Once that would take place, the betrothal or the engagement would take place. There would be a contract of marriage between the Jewish boy and the Jewish girl. And so with that contract being, being done, it was what the price of the bride of the price is. That's part of the contract. It is what the promises are from the bride to the groom or from the groom to the bride. The groom would put on a contract. This is what I will do for you. I will love you. I will care for you. I will protect you. I will provide for you. I will give unto you. I will meet the needs that you have. I will, I will do all my part and just lay out all these promises and lay out all these, these, these detailed ideas of what he's going to do for the bride in a contract. We find not only in this contract is the price and all the promises, but also the provisions. I provide you a home. I provide you children. I provide you this. I provide you that in this contract. And, friend, that's exactly what happens when you and I are opposed for an engagement with Jesus. That when we hear about Christ, we hear about Jesus, that now we got a contract. It's called a new covenant. And that new covenant is His blood. Right, man? And in that new covenant, it's presented to you as a sinner, presented to you as one who is unmarried and unengaged. And it says to you, listen, if you would come and be my wife and be my bride, I would give you eternal life. I will forgive you of your sins. I will give you these promises. I will make these provisions. Your life will never be the same. It will be a greater life than you ever lived before. Would you want to take this in the covenant that God has made with his bride? 
Amen. Just like the Jewish would. But not only is there a covenant or a contract that is written up or given, but there's a consent of marriage. And when Jesus offers you eternal life, and Jesus offers you a life of abundancy, and when Jesus offers you uh, the things that he offers you out of the word of God to every Christian in this room here today, uh, Fred, we find we got a choice now. Either we consent to the contract or we withdraw. The woman would look at the contract, look at the price, look at what he promises, look what the provisions are, and she says yes or she says no. Even though the father has chose her to marry his son, they're still on the side of the bride. Is that what you want? She says, I will. She says, I do. However she phrases it, it's the same thing with you and I. When we come under the conviction of our sin, when we come under the persuasion of the Word of God, and when we are presented into with Jesus that I'm a sinner and He's the Savior, and the Word of God says, repent of your sin, and by faith receive Him as the Lord and Savior, you've got a choice in the matter. Do you consent to that? And so we find here as the same as the Jewish wedding. Thirdly, not only the contract of marriage, the consent of marriage, but then there's a cup in marriage. So what happens at this time, whenever the, the, the woman, the bride-to-be, would say, yes, I consent to this contract, and then they would hand a cup to them that would be of a fruit of the vine. And in this cup, once she says, I do, would not be just enough. But it would by taking that cup, and she'd take that cup, and she would drink the fruit of the vine. And that right there would seal it. Would seal it. And so, as you and I come before the Lord, he, there is a contract. And then there's a consent on our side. And then he gives a cup. And if you drink that cup, you can be saved. Amen? We did the Lord's Supper last Sunday night, and this is the same part of it. When you took that cup, the cup that represented his blood, and you drank it. It's the same thing as we spoke of not too long ago, I preached, where it says that you have to eat of his body and drink of his blood. Same cup. Same cup. And so we find this morning in the way of betrothal or the way of engagement. But then I want you to notice that, that you're sealed with his blood. And the cup is going to be the sealing of this marriage. Now turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 26 and look in verse 29. He says, verse, let's start verse 26 of chapter 26. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink, drink ye all of it. He says, 
For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many of, for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. What kingdom is he talking about? The kingdom of heaven. As it was in Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. So there's another cup that we got to get to in just a moment. For the first cup will put you into the marriage relationship and a sealing of it. And once you get sealed by the Holy Ghost, get sealed by drinking of this cup, you'll find that you've now been espoused or betrothed to Jesus. It's a legal term where you can't get out. And we find here this morning uh, in the fourth thing that would happen, there would be a gift, the gift to the bride. You know, like we would give a ring to the bride, right? And so we say that, listen, I'll ask, I'll ask you to marry me. You know, like brother, uh, you know. You know what I'm talking about? Brother George, you know what I'm talking about? Got on his knee. Presented to her. He said, will you marry me? And open up this big four or five carat diamond ring. He could hardly hold that thing up. But anyway, uh, she said, yeah. He took it, put on her ring, put it on her finger. Now you're engaged to me. And now she wears a ring. Show me your ring. You don't got one. See how the see how the groom gets see how the groom gets treated? Don't get nothing. Anyway. So now at this Jewish wedding or Jewish marriage, they would give the gift. And we find as you get saved. You get a gift too. Amen. It's called the gift of the Holy Ghost. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 22 says, Who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. That word earnest means a deposit. It means a down payment. It means a token. And so whenever you say yes to Jesus and you drink of the cup of his blood and eat of his body and be born again, you'll find now that he gives you a gift, and that gift is the Holy Ghost. Just like he gave that ring, just like they would give a gift to that bride. And that gift is just an earnest to let them know that, listen, we're serious about this marriage. I'm giving you this gift. I'm giving you this gift to let you know that it's in contract. And it's, it's something that's going to be of a permanency. And I love you. But it's also telling them, I'm going to come back. Amen. So in this Jewish wedding, we find gifts that were given. And can I say here, fourthly or fifthly, the bride, after he gives the gifts, they make the contract. She drinks the cup. Everything's sealed. Everything's done. He leaves and goes back to his father's house. And in between the time that he leaves and the time that he comes back, she immerses herself in water. There is a cleansing that she does. Not the groom, but the bride. It's preparing her for her wedding. It's representing a separation from her old life with her father to her new life with her husband. It's representing a single woman who has no husband to a married woman who has a husband. 
It's signifying that the coming out of authority under her father and placing herself under the authority of her husband. You and I were baptized. The Bible says that we are baptized by one spirit into one body. Amen. We've done that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Jesus, it says there in Acts chapter 1, that when Jesus comes, he'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost of God. We find as it was for that Jewish girl, that bride, she had to take herself and plunge her into water just like we do after we get saved. Amen. All right, you with me? Stay with me here. We find here, sixthly, that the bridegroom coming to get his bride. We find that when the bride, when the, when the groom leaves, he goes out. And when he goes, he begins to build a bridal chamber. In preparing herself, the, groom, the bride is preparing herself. He's preparing himself. And she is set apart from him. She's separated from him, but you know what? She's faithful to him, and she's waiting on him. Just as we're waiting for our groom, amen? And we're in the mix as the bride on this side, and he's up there in John chapter 14 preparing us a place, amen, in the Father's house, and the mansions are many, and we can't wait for him to come back and to get us. In the meantime, we don't go around looking for somebody else. We don't go around being unfaithful to him. We don't go around being caught up with the world. We don't go back into the places we used to go to, and we don't go back living how we used to live. We've got a covenant. We've got a Holy Ghost of God. We've got a gift of the Holy Spirit within us. We've got a commitment made. We're faithful. We're just. We're separated. And we're waiting for Him. Just like she would be. Amen. I hope you're married. I hope you are. My heart would break. To know that one day you come in, the door shut. Can I tell you something? Once Jesus comes, nobody is saved. Nobody is saved after Jesus comes. Not one person. The door is shut. And you say, open up, open up. He says, I never knew you. I don't want that to be anybody in here today. Not one. The bridegroom's coming to get his bride. The only person who knows when this marriage will take place is the father. And it's the father that says to his son, son. And by the way, it's going to be like a thief in the night. And most of the time, it's in the midnight when that groom in the Jewish wedding would go get his bride at midnight. And so in the middle of the night, I believe that's going to be literal. I believe tonight, I believe it's going to be midnight when Jesus comes. Because the Bible speaks so highly of it. He said, I'm going to come like a thief in the night. Let me ask you a question, friend. If I told you tonight there's going to come a thief in your house, and they're going to steal everything you've got, what would you do? You'd be ready? Got your gun, got your machete, got your knife. You know, you become rainbow. Uh, you know, you, you got you ready to go, man. G.I. Joe. I mean, you, you're in the closet. You got all your paint on. You got all your clothes on. You say, come on in here, man. I'm ready. Jesus is telling you today, I'm coming. 
I'm going to come like a thief in the night. You know what I'm going to take? I'm going to take my church. Woo! <laughs> oh, man, some of y'all are dead in the hammer. Some of y'all are cold as an ice cube. Some of you as dull as a doorknob. I think right now if I come down and just hit you square in the face and have your nose meet your left ear, you wouldn't even know it. <laughs> Jesus is coming. And man, I tell you, when this bridegroom finally hears the call of his father, I could just see him waking up his son or moving his son or saying, Hey, son, that's the last nail. Hey, son, that's the last hammer hit. Hey, son, that's the last room. Hey, that's the last mansion. It's ready, son. Get up and go and get your bride. I could just imagine Jesus. Man, I've been waiting for this for 2,000 years. Now, whenever that happens and that bridegroom is told by his father to go get him, you'll find that there will be groomsmen that's with this groom. And whenever he comes, he comes out of the father's house. He's coming down with the groomsmen's with him. And there is music. I'm just telling you the Jewish wedding. I mean, there is, there is all kinds of music going on. There's all kinds of singing going on. There's all kinds of dancing going on. There's all kinds of shouting going on. And somebody who's up there as this groom is leading this procession down the road, everybody in the whole city is coming out the doors because it's loud. There's shouting. There's trumpets. I mean, friend, there is a celebration taking place in this little old town. And everybody in the world is waking up. The lights are coming on. They're saying, what's going on? Hey, that groom is going to go and get his bride. And there is a great celebration. Just like, friend, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that there's going to be a trumpet sound. There's going to be a voice of the archangel. And there's going to be a shout whenever Jesus comes. It's not going to be quiet. It's not going to be secret. It's not going to be the world don't know it. It ain't going to be everybody going to say, what happened? They're going to know what happened. Jesus, the groom, came and got his bride, and he's gone. Whoever tells you it's going to be secret and silent, it's going to be, and nobody's going to know, that's a bunch of hogwash. We're talking about the marriage of divine, of God. <laughs> I mean, even old dead Methodists would shout on that. I can just imagine as they're going, that pronouncing going on, the bridegroom coming. Are you ready? Are you ready? And soon as he gets to the door, this bridegroom and his groomsmen, they get to the door to this at midnight, 1 o'clock. How would you like to have a wedding at 1 o'clock in the morning? 1 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I'm here to get my bride. Well, she doesn't heard all that going on. They're up and ready. Or it may be that for a whole year, because it's about a year before that, that groom comes and gets his bride, maybe she's got her wedding dress on, her face made up, her hair all fixed up, and for a whole year she just stands like this. 
she sleeps like this. Because she wants to be ready, right? She ready. And she comes out of that door. And these two groomsmen is carrying. Got a long stick on both ends. And right in the middle of it is a seat. And they got this thing. They put it on the ground. One groom's on that side. One groom on this side. Puts it down. The groom helps her. She sits on that seat. And they lift her up. What happens at the rapture? We get lifted up. And once they lift her up, they carry her. The Bible says, we so shall be with the Lord. We're going to be carried. And he carries, he carries them, and they carry them. They carry them all the way to the bridal chamber. The Jewish wedding. Man. Woo, I'm not even hungry. Some of y'all thinking about that right now. Oh, can I say here tonight, and whenever they get into that bridal chamber, turn your Bibles real quickly to John chapter 3, because I want to give you a context here. Man, this is so good. I might even go in the evening with this one, into the evening. I'm not saying I have a break. Chapter 3, verse 29. So he that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This is my joy, therefore fulfilled. And what does that mean? Well, once they carry her, lift her up, as the rapture is for us, and then they go into this bridal chamber, and you got all these groomsmen sitting around, and they're just sitting around, and they're just sitting around, and they're sitting around, and finally when the groom comes out and says, The marriage has been consummated! There's this joy, there's this happiness, there's this excitement. Man, I tell you, everybody done does another party. And at the same time, they take a second cup. And they drink the cup. Jesus said, remember, I'll not drink of this cup, of the fruit of the vine, to my Father's kingdom. <laughs> wow. Well, I tell you, what a wonderful thing. For one week, for one week, you know, I, our marriages happened like in three hours. Next thing you know, you, you marry, you marry, and the bride got all the, got everything. I mean, you know, she's got a bridal shower, and uh, all the gifts are toward the bride. You know, the groom don't get squat. But anyway, now, now he takes off, and as they're walking to the car, People are throwing like rice, right? That, that's, 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 for the, that's for the tough guys, you know, the throwing rice. Did y'all get rice thrown at y'all? No? No, right, no more rice? Oh, okay, what is it, bubbles now? <laughs> Sister Heather, bubbles. I wasn't born for this generation. <laughs> I, like the, I, I like the seeds. The seeds, the rice. Something you th I remember, man, getting little bags of rice. And I used to, <laughs> I mean, just throw it at them. Now you got to go, <laughs> the, the little bubble. Yeah. In the Jewish wedding, seven 
days. Seven days. They come out, man, they are, they are having a time for seven days. You know, we get up to heaven with Jesus. We're going to be in heaven for seven years. Because down on earth is seven year of tribulation period. Did y'all know that? Man. I'm telling you, it's almost perfect in this illustration. We find for seven years, we'll be up there having a party of a groom and a bride. And it's going to be over. Amen. And friend, down here on earth, it's going to be full of wrath, full of pain and suffering. It's going to be, Fred, you can't miss the rapture. You better be ready for the return. After seven days of this, they come to the marriage supper. After seven days, they come to a marriage supper. Now, at the end of this marriage, at the following of one week, for us is seven years, the bride and the groom join the guest for a feast. At the end of seven years, at the end of the tribulation period, when Jesus comes back and he begins the kingdom of heaven as being the king, there will be a feast. In Revelation 19, 6 through 9 tells us the feast of the marriage supper. At the end of the seven years. Right at the millennial reign. Do y'all not see how exact that is? Why did Jesus give the parable? Watch, therefore. No man knows the hour or the day when the Son of Man cometh. This morning, if you walk out of here as a fool, you do it to your detriment. But you can walk out of here wise. By repenting and receiving Christ as Savior today. Would you do that? Let's stand to our feet, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. The guest to the marriage in heaven will be the Old Testament saints and the Old Tribulation saints. That's who the guests are. The feast. The word watchful means stay awake. Stay alert. Be active. Are you that way, dear friend? Are you that way? I wonder today that the door was shut. Will Jesus say, I don't know you? I wonder. You see, Brother George, as you are contemplating on that, he says, be watchful. He says, be warned. That word watchful means be prepared, equipped, completed, organized, and adjusted. Are you that? Are you that? Now, if you're wrong, you're going to be rejected. You're going to be refused.
when Jesus said to them, I don't know you, he said, I never saw you. I've never talked to you. I've never heard you. I've never been around you. I don't know you. Jesus is coming back. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Thank you, Lord, for this story. Thank you for your truth. Anybody this morning? I just don't know if I'm prepared. I just don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I'm equipped. I don't know if I have everything I need before Jesus comes. Would you come? I'll show you what you need. Anybody? Anybody? We're not going to keep on going. Anybody? Amen. Brother Keith, will you dismiss us here this morning in the word of prayer? your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God and in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for Oh, God.